0: Humanity has an age-old obsession with the end of the world. That obsession is why we're here, as explorers. You're one of the first people to set foot in this dark new world. And you're about to start on a journey you'll never forget. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ash Tales. So, who would have thought, just a few months ago, that we'd find ourselves in the midst of a global pandemic? It feels kind of like we're living through our own episode of Ash Tales, the mercifully one that's going to finish prematurely before the dramatic world-ending climax we normally hear in our stories. Today's tale hits pretty close to home for those of us that are sheltering in place and trying to flatten the curve. Digging from authors Rhonda Parrish and Pete Alden is the story of one man and his dog as he retraces his footsteps through a world, a home, and a family that have been changed forever by a deadly disease. Given the state of the world right now, I found it extremely cathartic. It's a melancholy reminder that, yeah, things are bad, but they could be much, much worse. So, on with the story. Here's Digging by Rhonda Parrish and Pete Alden. Fire took out the whole damn block down to the foundations, but not our place. Nope. Of course not. I couldn't be that lucky, could I? Three houses left standing for as far as I can see, and one of them had to be ours. My place stares at me from across the street. The window smashed, siding, melted and curled, and dares me to cross over to it. Dares me! I feel guilty for wanting it all gone, but I do. I want it wiped off the planet so I can let it go. Never wanted to see it again for as long as I lived. But Sandy... (laughs) Two years, at least as far as I can figure it. Two goddamned years. Still, I had to come, didn't I? Couldn't let Sandy wander off by herself. Again. She's all I've got now, and it's not her fault she doesn't realise that things have changed. That danger lurks in even the most mundane of places. She can't understand all that. I don't blame her, though. Sometimes I have a tough time accepting it myself. I'd woken to the sound of Katie's laughter in the living room and flushed from my belly to my cheekbones with the joy of living. Rolling over, I reached for my wife, just as our daughter came crashing through the bedroom door in a clamour of thrashing limbs and giggling. "'What?' (sighs) Lily said, covering her head with her pillow, her wedding ring glinting in the early morning light. "'Surly, sweetie!' The alarm pipped a second later. Nope, I sighed, right on time. A minute later I stumbled across the kitchen floor in my thick dressing gown while Katie raced through the kitchen, around and around the island before deciding she needed to pee. The bathroom door slammed behind her, loud enough to summon Armageddon. I flipped on the coffee maker and stood there, swaying and yawning. The dog yipped and, like magic, Katie materialised, opened the sliding door wide and watched her four-legged friend bolt out into an early winter morning. Struck by a wave of incoming cold, I snapped at her to shut the damn door. Katie was startled into inactivity for a second, and then complied, pouting while my gut twinged with guilt at my tone. "'Come here, Pumpkin,' I said. She took her time a finger pressed to her bottom lip, so I stooped and scooped her up, plunking her on the counter, plucking two boxes from the pantry and waggling them before her. Cheerios or Fruit Loops? Mummy doesn't want me eating junk on school days, she said, but her eyes were round, hopeful. I remember the same melty feeling in my gut then that I'd had when I first held her. She was so like my wife, that heady mixture of innocence and guile, that transparent way of manipulating. The apple of my eye. I put the Cheerios back, but set the Fruit Loops on the bench near the coffee pot. Fruit Loops for me then, and broccoli for you. No way! She retorted, then caught my smile and flashed one herself, mischievous, seeing a way to gain the upper hand. You get the broccoli, I get the loopy loops. I sighed in mock dismay. "'Go wash your face and brush your hair. "'If you're back here in ten minutes with your school clothes on, "'you get Fruit Loops.' "'Otherwise...' "'My hand crept through the air towards the fridge. "'Broccoli!' "'She squealed, slipped off the island and bolted for the bathroom, "'yelling at me not to start counting until the bathroom door was shut. "'I grinned as the door slammed again and turned to face the counter, "'snorting coffee fumes. "'Bringing that coffee any time soon?' Lily called from the bedroom. I heaved a mock sigh. Slave to a gaggle of girls, that was my lot. Keeping my two girls happy. Three if you count the damn dog. January has always been cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. But this year, it's even worse than usual. I expect it's because the city's empty now, more or less. No power running, no heat leaking out of the buildings. And after the fire as well... There's not even many buildings standing to cut the wind. (laughs) To cut the wind, there's a joke. Nothing cuts the wind. The wind cuts you. Stabs right through you like a goddamn knife. I look over my shoulder at Sandy, checking on her. She's wandering through the rubble, poking at stuff buried in the snow. Probably looking for something to eat. I'm hungry too, but it's a waste of time everything here has been burned to ashes. But why stop her? At least it's keeping her busy. I can't believe she brought me back here, of all goddamn places. Maybe there are more lights on behind her big brown eyes than I gave her credit for. The car trip that morning had been a lesson in distraction. With interesting talk radio People yapping and arguing about global food shortages, wild weather, the growing epidemic, and Katie playing with the dog in the back seat. Shit! The bus came out of nowhere. I hit the brakes and the dog tumbled forward from the rear and almost onto my lap. I arrested her fall with one arm as Katie yelled from the back. Dad! You almost killed her! My heart hammered. My temples throbbed. I hit the gas as the car behind honked and Katie continued to pile on recriminations. "'Enough!' I snapped, and she fell silent. "'If you'd sit still and keep the dog still, I wouldn't be so distracted.' I shoved the dog back towards her without looking away from the road. Katie started pouting, but I was okay with that. At least she was quiet so I could concentrate, and by the time we reached the school she'd forgotten to be upset. She climbed out and blew me a kiss from the sidewalk. In apology for snapping at her, I cranked the passenger window down, low enough for her to ruffle the fur on the dog's head. Crossing the street, I am reminded of all the westerns I read when I was a kid. The asphalt is cracked and buckled with potholes that would swallow a horse, and we're surrounded by ruined and gutted houses. All except mine. It's standing there like a judgement from God. A great big box-shaped judgement from God. Twisted, Shattered, battered and broken, but still standing. Katie's tricycle sits on what used to be the front lawn. Honest, it's sitting there, right where she left it. It's a black skeleton of a thing, barely poking out of the snowdrift and hardly recognisable, but it hasn't moved. Fires might rage, snow might blanket the world, but that tricycle won't move an inch. Filled with a sudden fury, I snatch it out of the snow and hurl it towards the house. It flies into the door, and Sandy's surprised cry meshes with the smash of wood on steel. Then everything is silent once more, and I'm left with my thoughts, my memories, my tears. Sandy comes up behind me, presses against me. I think she's trying to comfort me, but I'm beyond comfort, way beyond comfort. Why would she bring me back here? Here of all places. I'm so angry I can't even bring myself to look at her. I know it's not her fault. Part of me knows. But the other part is filled with white-hot fury and doesn't give a shit. Still, she presses against me, oblivious. I can see her breath float up in clouds around us. I jerk away from her, gesturing angrily away. That she understands. She skitters off to the side and then peers at me through the long hair that hangs in front of her eyes, sulking. Her hair shifts each time she blinks, directing her limpid brown eyes my way, but I won't be swayed. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for her. And if I weren't here, here of all goddamn places, I'd be a lot happier. Denial. It's not just a river. I cut the engine in the hardware store parking lot and grabbed my cell to check the message that had just come in. From my wife, just like I'd known it would be. I remember thinking, it'll be a reminder to do what I'm already doing. Don't forget, out of work doesn't mean holidays. Get those shingles fixed, mister, unless you want to sleep in the doghouse all winter. I locked the door and sucked in the cool, dry air of a clear winter morning. It seemed weird that my car was the only one in the lot, but I figured at least I wouldn't get held up at the checkout. After assembling the crap I needed to fix the shingles over the kitchen, I shoved the cart towards the register. A 40-something guy leaned behind it, reading a catalogue. Beautiful day, 40-something said and shifted a toothpick from one side of his shit-eating grin to the other. Be more beautiful if I didn't have to go out in it, I grumped. Forty-something's lips clamped shut around the toothpick. I piled materials on the counter and wondered when exactly my mood shifted from all's well with the world to supremely pissed. Probably the text message. Or that goddamn magician bus driver and his undisappearing act. Forty-something had scanned the goods. You hear about this fever? They say even the ones who recover aren't well after. Misfirings in their brains. He pointed his finger at his temple and made slow circles. Oh, you don't say, I'd answered. He took the hint, got back to work, muttering something under his breath. Sounded like song lyrics or poetry, maybe a mantra. A ladder lays on the ground beside the house. It mocks me, the way it harkens back to a time when shit like a leaky roof were the worst of my worries. Part of me is pissed at myself for leaving it there. Leaving it there for just anyone to use to climb up on the roof. On my roof. Even if I've been roughing it in a farmhouse for two years, it makes no difference. It's still mine. Mine. Like these memories. Memories of chasing a small girl around the massive crab apple tree in the backyard, giggling, hair streaming, flaxen in the sunlight. The crab apple tree didn't escape the fire with as little damage as the house but it's still there. Great black limbs reach like reverse lightning into the sky, stark against its bone white. The trunk, the very same one I chased her around, looks like charcoal, but it's still standing. Sodden ash and snow squish beneath my boots as I approach, drawn to it like a bullet to the brain. There, where the shade would have been the thickest, lies the toppled-over skeleton of the swing set. A cheap metal thing we bought at the hardware store. I spent hours putting it together, cursing and swearing. But it was worth it when Katie saw it. She spent hours on that thing. Swinging, swirling, hanging upside down from the crossbars. Before the world turned upside down. Fixing the shingles was like fixing my soul. A job with a tangible beginning, middle and end. I straightened, arched my back. Needed a cramp with the knuckles of one hand. Yes, the job was good. Nearly done. The dog whined from behind me and I twisted. She was back in the corner flower garden, digging. Get on out of there, I shouted, not worrying about the neighbours. Stop it! Get out of there, you goddamn disobedient mutt! I stare at the tree, at the swing set, because if I turn my head the other way, Honest, Sandy, I could have gone the whole rest of my life without coming back. I really could have. They're there, just to the right of the toppled swing set, but still within the embrace of the tree's boughs. Or they had been. I refuse to look. Guilt gnaws at me like bugs at a book's binding. But I refuse to look. What if animals have gotten to them? What if the ground settled? What if I didn't bury them deep enough? I'd been destroyed when I dug the graves. After weeks of nursing my girls, weeks of fever, boils and wasting, they'd gone within hours of each other, leaving me and Sandy. In a tear-fogged haze I dug graves, fashioned crosses out of scraps of wood, scrawled their names across them and wrapped them in blankets as tight as I could tight to keep the stink in, to keep the bugs out, tight as a cocoon, just like how Katie used to ask me to tuck her in. Tight as a cocoon, daddy, tight as a cocoon. Not tight enough, not deep enough. The crosses are gone, consumed, I assume, by the fire, but the graves are marked still, marked by the bowls in the ground by my wife's hand, grey and tattered, jutting up out of the ground. The earth around it, a slushy mix of snow, mud and ash, is disturbed. Dug up. Claw marks scar its surface. But her hand... Her wedding ring still glints on its finger, catching the cold winter light and tossing it back into my tear-filled eyes. God, Lily, I'm so sorry. I'm so goddamn sorry. I take her ring. Her skin peels off like wasp paper as I pull it off her finger. But I take it just the same. A memory. A token. I kiss it and slip it into my front pocket before I get to work. The shovel is leaning against the house, exactly where I left it two years ago. Its handle has been tempered by the fire. Tempered, but not broken. So I put it to work. It feels good in my hands. The weight healthy the ache that spreads through my shoulders purifying. I sob as I shovel. I sob and I talk to them. To my girls. I tell them how much I miss them, how I think about them every day, how I imagine what life would have been like if the plague hadn't come. I sob for all the times I spoke sharply to them, every instant with them I didn't appreciate at the time. I confess how many times I've wanted to join them, but how fear stayed my hand or responsibility. If I go, who will take care of Sandy, I ask. I know Katie, at least, will understand that. And perhaps my wife will understand that, much as I miss them, I'm not ready to give up. Not yet. Not yet. The sun is falling and the wind has died when I finally put the shovel aside and turn away. Two mounds rest beneath the skeleton of the tree. Unmarked, but not unmourned. Sandy, I call, unsure where she's got to while I was working. I whistle and slap my thigh. Come on, girl. She comes zipping out of the back door of the house, her tail wagging so fiercely it moves her whole back end as she runs. Let's go, girl. I put the ring in my front pocket. It's time to move on. that's all for another episode of ash tales thanks go again to pete alden and Rhonda parish for their story digging if you'd like your story featured on the show head to ashtales.com in the meantime i hope you stay sane i hope you stay happy i hope you stay safe until next time